While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Good evening. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Chris, it will be back tomorrow. Um, I've got a full slate tomorrow, too. Uh, if you're just tuning in, um, you may have gotten an app notification uh, about former Mayor Bullard joining us. He will be joining us, uh, former mayor of New Bedford, John Bullard, who is now the president of the New Bedford Ocean Cluster. Um that's overseeing a lot of development in the, uh, in the you know, in the port uh, to include offshore wind. And he's going to be joining us uh, closer to the 9 o'clock hour, actually. Um, if you tuned in last Thursday, and even Friday, because we talked about it a little bit, but if you tuned in last Thursday to South Coast Tonight, Jack Spillane, New Bedford Light columnist Jack Spillane had filled in for us and did a pretty excellent job. You can see one of the columns I wrote actually about that interview on WBSM.com with uh, House Transportation Chair Bill Strauss. He interviewed House Transportation uh, Chair Bill Strauss, the representative from, represents uh, the Tri-Town Fairhaven, Nakushnet, New Bedford. He said that, uh, Strauss said that in that interview that basically... Um, Charlie Baker deserves most of the credit for, um, and more credit than any other governor for making South Coast Rail a reality. And he had said if it wasn't for Charlie Baker's, you know, steadfast commitment to the thing he's most famous for, which is, you know, consensus, consensus building, striking compromises, uh, reaching a pragmatic solution, uh, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, then if he didn't do that, then South Coast Rail wouldn't have happened. I mean, Strauss literally said this is happening because of Charlie Baker. So it's a good, um, I think he makes some really interesting comments, uh, even going as far as criticizing another member of the delegation, uh, Senator Mark Pacheco from Taunton, uh, criticizing one of the, uh, another member from the South Coast's or from the region's uh, delegation on South Coast Rail. Taunton is getting a new station. Um, There's, you know, they wanted to. Uh, so there's, it's a good column. You can check it out at WBSM.com. And the other interview he had was with former mayor Scott Lang. Scott Lang obviously being the immediate predecessor uh, to John Mitchell. Um, Bullard served some time years before, uh, but, or some time ago, years before, I should say. But um, basically, Scott Lang had said that. Uh, offshore wind is on the road to obsolescence, meaning by the time he's saying by the time it's up and running, he says it's going to be uh, dated. He'd said putting up 1300 windmills, he likened it to 1300 uh, World Trade Centers. Um, Scott certainly has a narrative gift. <laughs> and so it's a really good interview. Jack, um, Jack did a great job. He made some, you know, made some news, obviously. 
uh, made some great content for the station and for just the local conversation in general uh, about, you know, what these com- elected officials and community leaders think of major developments happening here in the South Coast and in New Bedford. So Lang criticized offshore wind pretty heavily, said with the with the breakthrough nuclear fusion that it's going to be that offshore wind is going to be rendered obsolete, that it's not going it's going to be no longer necessary, and that it's interfering with the fishing industry, which uh, former Mayor Lang identified as the cultural um, the heritage industry of New Bedford. Um, and I know there there obviously has been tension not just with New Bedford's fishing community, but with fishing communities in Rhode Island and even in um, in Europe, where offshore wind's already taken off. So this has been a major offshore wind's been a major pro, uh, legacy project for Mayor Mitchell. Currently, he's been on this program talking about it and how New Bedford's positioned itself to be uh, the national leader or one of the national leaders in offshore wind. So with Lang's commentary. I wanted to uh, invite somebody on who would have uh, a counterpoint to that. And I thought, who better than a former mayor, another former mayor, uh, who's currently leading um, a a leader in the development of the offshore wind industry. There's been a lot, I mean, and and to be fair, uh, you know, Mayor Mitchell and former Mayor Bullard aren't the only elected and former elected officials that have been stumping for offshore wind. I mean, Congressman Keating has been a big champion offshore wind, uh, of offshore wind. Congressman Auchincloss has also been a big champion off, of offshore wind. In fact, President Biden came to the district here, Congressman Auchincloss's district, and um, talked about offshore wind. So I wanted to get former Mayor Bullard on. He's going to be on in about around the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, I actually think he's currently at an event for offshore wind. So he's going to be joining us sometime in the nine o'clock hour tomorrow. Just to preview what we've got going on tomorrow. We've got a full slate. Uh, Adam Bass is going to be joining us at the beginning of the program. Um, He is a new reporter for WBSM uh, doing some freelance uh, for us. And it's going to talk about the column he just wrote on the uh, return of the Ernestina. And uh, just a, a few other things. And then at 8 o'clock, we're going to have counselor uh, tomorrow. We're going to have counselor at large, Shane Burgo. He's going to be joining us in studio. I have another column on WBSM.com about how counselor Burgo and uh, counselor, uh, uh, counselor Burgo and uh, Ward 6 City Council Ryan Pereira, both, for, both in their first term as city councilors, Council Pereira beating uh, Joe Lopes in, in the election back in 2021. They're going to talk about, basically, uh, well, Burgo's going to talk about how, uh, why he walked out of a meeting last week in protest to the number of counselors that were there and what he saw as a purposeful maneuver, or he suspects, as a purposeful maneuver by the council to affect the votes on key Appointments to uh, government boards and commissions and a hearing on the demolition of a historically um, uh, what what Burgo uh, what Burgo described to me as a 
historically significant but not preferably preserved building in the city. So he's going to be in studio tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to hearing his comments on that. Um, and he's looking forward to talking about it. Um, so I know he'd, he'd appreciated it. It was, it was being covered uh, on WBSM because he wanted to make a point, And I think Councilor Pereira did too, of walking out of that meeting in protest. And by doing so, um, ha- forcing the meeting to end because they didn't have a required quorum of counselors there. Uh, just a quick overview of what happened in that meeting. It was a meeting on appointments and briefings that's chaired by Councillor Naomi Carney. And in that meeting, uh, in that meeting at the very beginning, Bur- uh, Burgo had put a motion on the floor to adjourn immediately because he said he didn't think there were uh, enough counselors to ad- adequately consider the items that were on the agenda. Uh, Councillor Abreu, Councillor Gomes, and Councillor Lima were not present at the meeting. So there were seven counselors. You need six for a quorum. So Burgo and Pereira, after the the motion was uh, the motion was denied three to four, so the meeting was set to continue because it was denied. And so Burgo and Pereira got up and walked out. And at that point, Councillor Carney was forced to adjourn because there was no quorum. And again, I think Councillor Burgo's response, I, I talked to him, I spoke with him on Sunday about it, uh, and his full, his complete comments are on the record in my column on WBSM.com that you can check out. He said that the number of counselors there was purposeful because they wanted certain votes to go a certain way. And so he's accusing them of basically setting up this meeting at an inconvenient time, making it probable that there were certain counselors that wouldn't be there, so that certain votes for committee appointments... And he hasn't said which ones yet. And so I'm hoping we can get that uh, information tomorrow. He hasn't said which, which, uh, which, which, because there's nine appointments on the schedule. He hasn't, uh, for government boards and commissions, that includes the Voctech School Committee, the Port Authority, the Board of Health, the Licensing Board, and of course that demolition uh, hearing. Uh, he hasn't said which ones he believes, if, it, or if not all of them, he, but he hasn't said which ones specifically he believed were um, being maneuvered in a certain way to have a certain outcome based on a low number of counselors attending a meeting. So 508-996-0500 is how you can join the program this evening. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. And at 9 o'clock, Chris Hendricks is going to uh, join us tomorrow, and that's going to be it's going to be fun. And then Thursday, just another preview of what we got this week because we got such a good lineup uh, this week, honestly. I'm really happy about it. Congressman Auchincloss is nearing the, the end of the first year of his uh, second of his uh, of his first term in Congress. He ran unopposed this uh, this year. He was the only member of the Massachusetts delegation to not have an opponent this year. Uh, he doesn't say much about that. I asked him about that last time he was on. He says, well, whatever, you know, if there's 800,000 people in my district, if they, someone decides to run, I don't think it's a barometer, you know, I don't think it's the barometer of, a, of my job performance, but he said, uh, you know, based on these metrics, these things that I'm doing, I think I'm doing a good job. So I'm going to have a good conversation with Congressman Auchincloss, uh, just a review of, of the work he's done in the last year. And, uh, That'll be Thursday at eight, and so uh, I'm look. I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be a great conversation um, with the congressman. So five zero eight 
996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. You know, typically, obviously, based on the conversation I, you know, I was just having, uh, we like to keep things pretty local. Uh, we like to talk about, you know, what's Mayor Mitchell doing? What's New Bedford City Council doing? What's going on in Fairhaven and Dartmouth, right? What's going on uh, in the South Coast or in Massachusetts? Um, but there's some big things going on in D.C. And there's some major developments happening in D.C. as this current Congress, as it's constructed with a slim majority uh, in this uh, dem- slim major- dem- uh, Democratic majority in the Senate and in the House is nearing its end. And on January 3rd, in fact, uh, the new Congress will be sworn in with a Republican majority, a, ba- a Republican majority, a, a very slim Republican majority in the House and a larger but still slim Democratic majority in the Senate, there's some things that are happening as this current Congress is terming uh, is terming out and the new Congress is terming in. One of those things, of course, is the wrap-up of the January 6th committee, uh, committee investigating the attack on the U.S. Capitol by a, um, we'll call it a mob, uh, but a large number of people who are supporting President Trump and believed that the election that got President Trump kicked out of office, basically, that elected President Biden, was not legitimate. So I do want to talk about that a bit um, because I think there's some major developments in that that I think are fairly unprecedented. Not to say they're going to go anywhere in particular, because I'm not sure if they are, but it's definitely worth having the conversation. It's too important to ignore, so we're going to have that conversation here in the first hour at least, maybe even in the second hour as well. And then, of course, at nine around 9 o'clock, um, maybe sooner, but closer to nine, the 9 o'clock hour, Mayor Bullard's going to be coming in studio and joining us to talk about offshore wind and provide that counterpoint to what... Um, former Mayor Lang had presented, uh, which was a very critical rebuke of offshore wind. Um, Mayor Bullitt's going to be providing the counterpoint to that uh, closer to the 9 o'clock hour. So we're looking forward to talking with him then. But for now, I'm taking your calls at 508-996-0500. I'm also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. So let's. what we're going to do now is we'll take a break, and then when we get back, I'll talk to you if you want to call in or app chat message and join the conversation. But I do want to talk about the final re- the the final result of this day, January sixth committee um, that had convened during this last term, this last two year term, in t- uh, this last two year term in Congress. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can join me. Uh, we'll also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. This is South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Chris McCarthy will be back tomorrow. Um, But I'm here with you until 10 o'clock, so stay tuned. The South Coast tonight, I'm Marcus. Uh, Sorry, (laughs) just getting adjusted here. Welcome to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. We'll also be taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. If you have the WBSM app, it's just uh, you can look under the uh, headlining stories. There's a little button that says message, and you can text the program, uh, and uh, we can read 
the app chat messages on air. I will say, the one thing I will say is, if you're going to send me an app chat message, uh, just make sure that you... Oh, just make sure that you... Um, Just make sure that you, uh, just make sure that you, um, be specific so I know that, uh, so that I know what you're talking about. Don't assume I'm reading your app chat message in real time because I am not able to do that. But we do have an app chat message coming in from Max from New Bedford. By the way, Max, I read your message to Barry Richard. I read your message to Barry Richard. said, what are Marcus's political views far from centrist? That's true. I didn't hear that specific part of the conversation. And uh, to be fair, I don't think Barry Richard's very centrist either. (laughs) You know, um, I think the only person here that has a claim to some centrism is probably Tim. Uh, I think everybody else is pretty firmly entrenched on their... Uh, side of the fence. But Max from New Bedford did ask me, do you think Trump should be prosecuted criminally? Uh, So let's get to that, actually. Um, Do I think Trump should be? Uh, I don't know. It's pretty clear that it's pretty clear that Trump lost the election, didn't want to admit to losing, and then tried to overturn the result of those election, of that election. So the charges that he's being, that they're referring, so the January 6th committee is referring non-binding charges to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice, overseen by Merrick Garland, who was famously a Supreme Court nominee, uh, but was not granted a hearing in 2016 uh, because the Republicans controlled the Senate. And then when Trump won, they filled uh, Neil Gorsuch in that seat. Merrick Garland's the head of the Department of Justice. And he, once Trump announced that he was running for president, he uh, uh, he appointed a, um, a special counsel, an independent special counsel to review all January 6th matters, obviously, because the Department of Justice, which is under the Biden administration, would be an opponent of Trump's in the 2024 election if Trump were to get the nomination. So, naturally... His department uh, and the guy, you know, the guy who works directly under him would have to recuse himself from that investigation. So Jack Smith, who is a national security, um, who's a national security attorney, and I believe has worked at the Justice Department, he's overseeing that case. So these are the four charges that are being referred. I think it's Trump and Trump's attorney. Um, there were other charges that they wanted to recommend for people like Mark Meadows, who is Trump's former chief of staff, and I believe a former congressman. I don't know if it's from South Carolina. Maybe Mick Mulvaney was from South Carolina. But anyway, Mark Meadows was Trump's chief of staff at the time. They wanted to refer them, but those guys had pled the fifth. Uh, and so they weren't able to get enough test evidence to refer those to a committee. But they did refer these four charges uh, against Donald Trump. Obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to make a false statement, and conspiracy to defraud the United States by assisting, aiding, or comforting those uh, involved in uh, insurrection. I think it's pretty clear on its face, and we got to, you know, 
I got to look at the specific elements of those crimes to see. But what Jamie Raskin said, who has been very vocal on this, Jamie Raskin's a congressman from uh, Maryland. He is a member of the Progressive House Progressive Caucus. He's been a very vocal member of this uh, of this January 6th committee. What he had said was <clears throat> basically that they'd actually put this evidence before a judge. A federal judge. And that federal judge had said, had looked at this evidence and said, there is at the very least probable cause that a crime had been committed. So probable cause is different from, and I don't know if he said there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm not sure about that. But he said, they said at least that there was enough evidence to bring a charge. They need a probable cause to bring a charge. Probable causes, of course, um, basically more likely than not, um, a crime had been committed. It's what probable cause has to show. Now, in a trial, you need proof beyond a reasonable doubt, right, which is a much higher burden, and it should be a much higher burden. And whether or not Trump met that standard, I can't say. Uh, I can't say to any sort of certainty uh, at this moment, but clearly the members of Congress uh, that oversaw this committee thought that way. Now, what's important to note is that just because they referred these charges doesn't mean that these charges are going to happen. So they referred them to the Justice Department, and the Justice Department can consider can it's 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 advisory. It's an advisory opinion, right? Um, the legislature can't tell an executive branch to charge somebody criminally. They can only make an advisory, right? Uh, they can only say, "Hey, you should charge them criminally." Uh, based on this, you know, based on this evidence. So it's probably, it's it's quite a thing, honestly, um, to former presidents haven't, to my knowledge, been criminally charged with anything, even though they probably, in a lot of cases, should. Uh, obviously, Richard Nixon comes to mind, but he was pardoned by Gerald Ford. A lot of people said that actually Gerald Ford was his vice president. Gerald Ford, actually, the only president to ever uh, assume office while the single vote cast at his name. But he had pardoned Richard Nixon after Nixon had left office. He thought it was the best thing to do for the country and all that and for the guy who made him president, basically. And so we didn't refer. So uh, we didn't end up get to uh, we ended and we didn't end up getting to see that to an end with Nixon organizing the um the watergate scandal so i don't know if they will again i think it's quite a thing and i think they'd be setting themselves up if the if the doj did that right if either merrick garland or i guess in this case special counsel jack smith did that they'd be setting themselves up uh for either uh the biden administration uh joe biden when he left office or kamala harris when they left office to be charged with something um, or, you know, presidents in the future. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that presidents do that are probably, uh, to say the least, legally gray, right? But a lot of that is in service to the job. Not, a lot of that's in service to the job. And, you know, we can make arguments about how awful the job is and all of that and how some of these things they shouldn't have done. But this was a little bit different in that it's in service to 
staying in office beyond when you're le- you legally should be staying in office. So it's entirely unprecedented. I'm not sure that he will be charged. I lean on. I would lean closer to no. Although people in con- uh, on that committee seem to think that it's going to happen. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. Hey, good evening. How you doing? Peachy. How about you? I'm fine. Good. Um, have you seen the movie Two Thousand Mules? I have not seen the movie Two Thousand Mules. I'm, yeah. I understand what it's yeah. about. You know, I get a liberal friend of mine, and I bought a coffee, and I gave it to him in the summertime. Still hasn't watched it. Yeah, so basically 2,000 Mules, is it's by Dinesh D'Souza, who's a conservative filmmaker, and it basically says that um, fake ballots were muled in to different precincts and key states in the presidential election. Is that is that my understanding? Uh. My recall of the movie is that they uh, they purchased uh, cell phone tracking data, and okay. they purchased it, I believe, for about two or three uh, areas that were in uh, swing states, and they tracked uh, the uh, cell phone, the cell phones, to a certain like they, they, if you had uh, if you were in Wisconsin or Michigan, whatever the case may have been. Uh, in a particular area of voting, they, they they tracked certain cell phones. They would go to this one location, and then from there, those cell phones would go to twenty-five to fifty different voting voting locations. Okay. And they would they had they at some of these locations they had cameras that, that were at the locations, and they showed the people stuffing the ballots into the. Uh, uh, the ballot boxes, right? And I'm wondering, I'm wondering who has who has, and what they they showed also was that there was a number of different uh, phones going back to this one location, leaving there and going to 25 to 50 voting voting boxes. So it wasn't just one person doing this; it was a number of people doing this, and they they they. Showed the same scenario in different different uh, areas of the country. Uh, so, uh, and I, I have yet to see, have, have anybody tell me what the flaw was in that movie. Usually, the response I get. I mean, the thing I is, seen it. the thing is with the thing is with two thousand mules. Even conservative pundits that have seen it have either chose not to talk about it or to say that the conclusions that it draws are not justified in evidence. I mean, even Ben Shapiro, um, who used to be at this network, even Ben Shapiro said that that he doesn't think that the conclusion is justified by the evidence. Fox News uh, did, never talked about it, and Dinesh D'Souza criticized Fox News for not doing that, but they never talked about it. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't even think that film is getting recognized as, you know, uh, that conclusion the film draws is getting recognized by the people that are supposed to recognize it. They're they're even saying, I don't think this is true. I think Donald Trump lost the election. I don't think it was rigged. So what what, what can be wrong with, with with what the movie showed? Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, I, I can't think of anything to be wrong. To tell you the truth, I am a little bit conservative, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not drinking anybody's Kool-Aid. I never have been one. I've always been an independent thinker. If I'm watching a movie and I see flaws in it or, you know, areas of weakness where there could be some interpretation, you know, somebody was leaving leaving something out that shouldn't have been left out, et cetera, 
I'll discount it. Yeah. But I watched this movie, and I, I it's kind of like if you have two plus two plus two, it doesn't equal six. It was it's just black and white. Yeah, I haven't seen it, um, I, so I can't like I can't specifically like comment to its yeah. accuracy or anything like that. I just yeah, know that a lot of people haven't seen it. Well, I just know that you know a lot of people ha- a lot of people haven't seen it, but I just know that there are conservative commentators that are sympathetic that have been sympathetic to Trump that have seen it that said, "Well, no, I don't think this is I don't think this is true. I don't think this is like that." Fox News doesn't even want to air it. So, I mean, if Fox News doesn't want to air it, uh, you know. Ben Shapiro doesn't think it's legitimate. Um, I, I, I know a lot of people. A lot of people um, don't want to stir the pot anymore. Yeah, that's true. You know about the election because they want to you know go along and uh, move on with life. Yeah, we don't want to get into a it, people. People may question how healthy is it for the country to. Yeah, okay. Biden yeah. couldn't steal. Biden couldn't steal a bar of soap from a, from a pharmacy if he needed to, yeah. but people behind him stole stole the election. So let's get rid of Biden and put Trump in there. That's going to be very disruptive. So I think there's a lot of people that don't want to kind of like well, walk in those woods. Yeah, I mean Al Gore. Uh, Al Gore got an election stolen from him right in front of everybody's face, and he didn't really do anything about it for those reasons. So I mean. What's that? I said Al Gore got an election stolen from him right in front of everyone's face. Everybody saw it being stolen right in front of the entire country, but Al Gore didn't do anything for those same reasons. Didn't want to upset the apple cart. Yeah, yeah, the hanging yeah. chair, I think it was. Yeah, there. yeah. yeah. All that. Florida. Yes. Yeah. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, so uh, another app chat on the WPSM app chat Is do you think the committee's conclusion? I see another one on a local issue. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, do you think the committee's conclusion was influenced in any way by politics? Yeah, of course. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, of course, of course, it was. Um, I don't think this was apolitical at all. Uh, and, and in fact, not only is the committee influenced by politics, so is the House Republicans killing the committee once they take over. Um, that's not politically. It's not. Comp- I mean, we know what we saw. What happened on January sixth, right? It's very, very obvious in front of the in front of everyone's face, and people were, you know, rightfully horrified by it. And it is, it's hard to argue that President Trump did not have any fault in what happened there. He very much did. Of course, he did. You know, he said Mike Pence doesn't have the courage to do what's right, and then there were people trying to kill Mike Pence that day. Now, he didn't say go out and kill Mike Pence, but he said Mike Pence doesn't have the courage to do what's right. And there were people going after Mike Pence in the Capitol that day. So, yeah, of course it's political because it's something horrifying that happened. Everybody saw it. Everybody was horrified by it. It's president. It's the Repu- former Republican president's fault. And so, of course, they're going to capitalize on that politically by making this January 6th committee. That's not to say the findings weren't important, but of course it's politically motivated. And so is the House Republicans killing it. Everything's politics. Everything's politically motivated. I agree. So 508-996-0500. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. 1420 WBSM, New Bedford's News Talk Station. You wash your hands. They know the local issues from the inside out, and they call it like they see it. Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow are back with more South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Hey, Welcome back. Um, 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hey, Marcus. How are you? Good. How's it going? Good. Um, when, I, when I've watched whatever I've watched of it, of the January 6th committee, 
it seemed to me by viewing what they what they how they're comprised and how they were uh, proceeding that they slightly overstepped their constitutional responsibilities. I mean, generally, um, legislators, which is what they are, the only act of what we would call near legal action would be impeachment, and mm-hmm. that's basically a non-legal action. It's a political action, and any any sort of warrants that would be uh, brought down would have to go through a court of law, and they're not they're not uh, that's not their jurisdiction. In other words, you, you would you would find it unusual to have Clarence Thomas uh, or any supreme or, or for that matter um, the the um, the head of the Supreme Court uh, John to Roberts over to another branch of government to enforce a law. That's not their jurisdiction, well. and any of the safety involved with. Uh, what had happened on that awful day would have been the responsibility of those in charge of the safety of the United States House of Representatives and the Senate. And whatever they did was a failure. Now, in in terms of fundamental fairness, I mean, one would have to believe. Now, if you or I got arrested and were charged with, let's say, a felony, um, one would not expect when we got to court and they were going through jurors that only the prosecution would be allowed to interview and select the jurors. So it was not really fair from the beginning in terms of... Well, well, well a couple of things. One, right. they're just making recommendations. Uh, the House uh, legislators, and especially the House, has does have very broad investigatory powers. I mean, they have an oversight committee in the House that is basically geared towards invest uh, investigating uh the government and misdoings by the government the republicans had done had the benghazi uh committee to oversee the uh what happened when four people including a u.s ambassador had died in benghazi having investigative powers and all of that is well within their jurisdiction and they didn't uh, overstep their jurisdiction by saying we recommend this it's just they, that's what they asked the Justice Department to do. They don't have to do it. And I, in fact, I think for the reasons you said, I don't think they, they might not do it. They might say, well, Congress can't tell us what to, you know, Congress can't tell the Justice Department who to indict and who not to indict. We make those decisions ourselves. So, But, but those investigations had uh, many adherents on both sides of the question. And this committee had no adherence on, on any well, one of the well, side of the executive well, branch. Well, well Republicans yeah. refused to sit in that committee. No, they were they were they were refused to allow to select their own people. Yeah, but they they didn't want to they didn't want to they didn't want they didn't want to sit at all. They they didn't want to sit in that committee. I, I don't believe that's quite true. In other words, the individuals that they wanted to be on the select committee, again, as I would say to you, the jurors were were not selected by them. They were selected. In other words, if you were again, if you or I run trial, and our lawyer was not was not allowed to select. The, uh, to have a say in selecting the jurors, which is what these Congress people were—the jurors in this particular case—if you want to set up the set up the uh, the way in which they were doing this, they were not allowed to pick who they wanted on the jury. No, so the, the, only, the only the only what, ha- what happened was. Uh, McCarthy pulled five of his uh, people that he wanted to sit on that committee because Pelosi had said two of the people McCarthy had picked, one of them being Jim Jordan, who was very close to President Trump, was inappropriate to sit on that committee. And Jim Jordan, in fact, is being referred to the Ethics Committee, which isn't going to go anywhere. 
But Jim Jordan had a very close relationship with President Trump and is implicated in this. So why would they let Jim Jordan sit on this committee when he's a he's a subject of the investigation? You wouldn't let some, you wouldn't let the defendant sit in the jury. He was he's not he was what in what case was he charged as a defendant? He wasn't. They referred him to the ethics committee. They said he the, he is a close friend of President Trump's. That's another thing. That's another that's another type of person that you wouldn't let sit in a jury is someone with a close relationship with the target of the, of the investigation, like yep. Jim Jordan. Yes, I, I understand that. But usually, you you have a vetting process that's more detailed than that. Another, I don't know that there are any people on that committee that were were approved by the Republican Party. Well, yeah, because McCarthy pulled five of his guys. He, he had he could have sat he could have sat some guys. Pelosi said, "You can't sit these two guys. You can sit these five guys. Pick two more. Two, pick two other guys." And that, then he said, "No, I'm not. I'm not sitting anybody." Uh, what? That sounds fair to you. I think it's fair to not have someone like Jim Jordan again, who's got pretty close with President Trump. I think that's fair to not have a guy like Jim Jordan again, who uh, was under, just referred under, to the Ethics Committee on, uh, on, what on this. That assumption. What do you mean? Well, you usually have to have a criteria by which you decide these things. You don't just decide them because somebody's your friend or my friend or his friend. Or well, well, no, no, no. That's that is a that is that is a, that is a that is actually a criteria for any tour. And this isn't this isn't a this isn't a court of law, by the way. It's 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 a it's an investigative panel in Congress. But that's a criteria. Actually, they ask all the jurors before. I mean, I've been in a trial. They ask all the jurors before the trial. Uh, the prospective jurors before the selection. Do you know the defendant? Are you friends with the defendant? Do you know the lawyer? Are you friends with the lawyers? Do you... They have discovery outside of the court of law, for, and you have, you have both sides of the, of the parties asking hey. questions of prospective defendants. Hey. So there's no, in other words, in, in terms of who was asking the questions, there was a certain amount of unfairness to it in that there was no adversarial Again, Maca- again, McCarthy pulled his five guys from that committee. He could have sat. He could have sat. He could have at least said, "Okay, well, at least I want some representation on that committee." And they pulled five guys from that committee. He could have sat people, but now he has the plausible deniability of saying, "Well, we couldn't have anybody on the committee." I mean, I think that was the end game of McCarthy pulling those guys. I think that was the. I think that was attacked. Hey, if you want to call back in the, uh, the eight o'clock hour, you can, but I got to hit this break. All right, thank you. Okay, no problem. What is that? 